Welcome to The Mentor Files. I'm your host, Monica Royer, founder and CEO of Monica and Andy. Join me as I chat with some of the world's leading entrepreneurs, inspiring CEOs and experts at the top of their field to bring you the Audible MBA, unfiltered advice and mentorship every mover and maker needs to find their voice and success. Here we go. so excited for our guest today. We have Shanlin Ma, co-founder and CEO of Zola, the wedding company reinventing the wedding planning and registry experience by combining exceptional customer service with modern tools and technology. Shanlin created Zola in her Brooklyn apartment in 2013, and today they carry over 500 brands from registry staples and up-and-coming designers, and more than half a million couples have used the platform. The site, which initially began as a wedding registry website, has since become a one-stop shop for all things wedding planning. Their product offering continues to expand, and now not only is the premier wedding registry, but also offers free wedding websites, a guest manager, and beautiful save-the-dates and wedding invitations. In January, they opened their very first brick-and-mortar store on Fifth Avenue. Prior to launching Zola, Shanlin spent time at Yahoo and Marketing and product roles at Gilt Group, where she was the brand's first product lead, and most recently at jewelry line Chloe and Isabel as chief product officer. I can't wait for you to hear the episode. Today, I'm excited to welcome Shanlin Ma, the CEO and co-founder of Zola. Shanlin, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So for people that haven't heard of Zola yet, tell us a little bit about it. Sure. Zola is the fastest growing wedding company in the country. I started Zola just over five years ago now with my co-founders because we and I had a lot of friends getting married in 2013 all at the same time. And I was buying a lot of gifts for them from their wedding registries and found that just buying gifts for my friends through their registries was one of the most painful (laughs) shopping experiences (laughs) online I had ever had. was complaining to my co-founder Nobu about it and he's married. And so he was saying how bad it was from the couple's point of view. And we just looked at each other and realized we could do a much better job. So we decided to quit our jobs to work on creating a much better wedding registry product online and on mobile. And since then have started to really attack how can we disrupt the entire wedding industry. And now I'm really focused on not just continually improving and innovating in wedding registries, but also looking at how can we serve couples throughout their entire wedding planning journey using design and technology products to help them with every part of their wedding planning. Wow. I love that. And I feel like the team here was really excited that I was talking to you today because I feel like so many, like Zola has become such a prolific brand, it seems like in such a short time. And I was married previous to you guys launching. So, you know, I'd heard of it, obviously, since you guys have become much bigger, but I didn't actually use it myself. So for people that haven't used Zola yet, tell us a little bit about some of what you were saying, like the pain points that you found in traditional registry and how you at Zola tackled some of those pain points. Sure. You know, we were starting to think about wedding registries, we were talking to a lot of different couples who were in the process of planning their wedding and planning their registries. And 
we spoke to actually hundreds of couples and just kept hearing the same pain points come up again and again. So it was really surprising how consistent it was. And really the top three things were at that time, wedding registries were dominated by big traditional department stores where you could only register for what was in that specific store, which meant that on average people had to create three different registries at three different stores to try to get the things that they wanted across stores. When really what people want today is they want not just products, but they also want experiences, they want honeymoon funds and cash for whatever they might be looking to do as kind of newlyweds and they want all of those things all in the one registry. You don't want to do the same thing three times over. So the first and foremost were like, what if you could register for everything and anything you wanted in the one registry? And so that was a big aha moment. The second <laughs> big pain point we we um, realized in talking to couples was that you know we live in an Instagram world where Everything about a wedding now is so personalized. Couples want to personalize everything to do with how their wedding looks and feels and including their registry and their invitations and they want it to reflect who they are as a couple. And back in 2013 and still on many other registries apart from Zola, you can't personalize anything. And we thought, well, what if you could upload photos and make a registry reflect the rest of your wedding? What if you could write notes to your guests to tell them why you registered for certain things or really create collections to explain how you're going to use certain gifts in context? And we launched the registry with a lot of features that allowed people to really personalize and reflect their personality onto their registry and found couples love that and really want to do that. And then the third and last big, you know, aha moment that we had was it was really surprising. It was couples telling us, couples that had gotten through the registry process were saying, you know, the worst part is when the gifts start to turn up. Because with some department stores, you, like all these department stores registries, they just start sending you the gifts on the day that they're bought, which means that you have no idea what's coming or who sent it or what's in the box or if you want to keep it. And things just pile up and it kind of takes over your life and you're stressed out and you're planning your wedding. And sometimes they arrive, you're away at the wedding, you're on your honeymoon, things are getting stolen, you have no idea what's going on, you have no control. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of counterintuitive because receiving gifts should be a fun thing. So our big innovation on that front was we thought, what if we only send gifts to couples once they're ready and they say they actually want to receive their gifts? And in doing so, we put the control back into the hands of the couple and just made life so much easier. And so those were the three examples of the big pain points that we solved with wedding registry. And that was very innovative. We're still the only registry that does all those things today. And that those are really the reasons why we kind of took off and everyone started using Zola and sharing it with their friends. I love that. I, I feel like, again, this came out after I was married, but the idea of the experiences and the cash funds, like when I looked at the site 
and saw that those two were headers that were on there, it it did seem absolutely brilliant to me because if you go to Zola.com and you, you know, you're about to register for your wedding. I mean, you can not only do like the traditional things that you would register for, but I agree. It's very comprehensive of what's happening. So then my second question, I mean, the idea is, is great. And obviously you've done a great job executing it, but let's talk a little bit about the execution. So for people that are thinking about starting their own business, I feel like a great idea is always, I don't want to say the easiest thing to come by, but I'm sure you would agree that's the that's the easy part of having a company. The hard part is actually executing on that, which obviously you got you and your team have done beautifully. So tell us a little bit about like you you had this idea, these pain points, you knew that you wanted to make this more shareable, that you wanted to add experiences and cash funds into it. What were the first steps to actually do this? Well, a lot of people who are thinking that they might want to start their own startup or take the leap into entrepreneurship ask me for advice around how to get started. And so I, like many people, always wanted to be an entrepreneur and one day, you know, start something myself. But I was lucky in the sense that I had the chance to work at a lot of great tech and consumer internet companies. And I purposely did that before deciding to take the leap and start my own startup because I really wanted to learn from great people how to do do things like <laughs> being a great you know product manager and build technology products and learn how to work with engineering and designers to really build products that customers love and also get exposure to what does it mean to have a merchandising strategy on an e-commerce side or hire great people. And so all those skills that entrepreneurs will use and need, I kind of intentionally wanted to get those in my arsenal before taking the leap to start my own startup. And so for that reason, I think I took a very different journey to some people who say, I just want to start something. I'm just going to go and do it and learn on the job. I purposely learned on other jobs before doing this job. No. And I think that you bring up a really good point that, that I want to kind of touch on for a second here for people that are listening. And it's that you know, obviously, like, and I've known great entrepreneurs that have come out of the gates and like their their first couple of jobs or their first jobs, and they've launched like an incredible company. I think that said, from the vantage point of where I'm sitting as well, I think it's the experiences from the things that I did before. I think it's the working for other people and the learnings that I have that have not only helped with building the brand, but have really helped in truly building the organization. And I think that some of the times that I've been really humbled over time as I've worked in other organizations have come in very handy here. And I can't imagine building this brand without the previous experience from from my other jobs. Now, like as you're pointing out, there's no right way to do things. But tell me a little bit more about some of like the key learnings that you feel like you've brought from previous life and job experiences that have really helped to lend to the success that you've had at Zola? I was really fortunate to be able to be the first product person at Gilt Group when Gilt was just starting out in 2008. And so was there for the first four years of the company in a product leadership role and then ultimately got the opportunity to pitch and launch and get the green light to run my own business unit within Gilt which was the best uh, experience for, for being a startup founder after that. And so the things that I learned there have just been 
have just had a huge impact, I think, on the success of Zola today. First and foremost, I got to work and get exposure to thousands of people across all these different functions and got to learn from other people what does great look like in a merchandising person, in an engineer, in a designer, in a GM or a general manager leader. And so learn about what is a great merchant and how do I know how to find them versus what is not great. So not just learning that, but also knowing people and sure. getting, and so <laughs> it's no coincidence that my co-founders are people I worked with for years previously, the leadership team here at Zola, we've all worked together before in some way, because when you see and work with someone that you think is the best, you want to work with them again and again. Yeah. Well, and I um, think you t- you're touching on a really important point here as well, which is, and my brother, Andy, from um, CEO, former CEO of Bonobos now would say- is, Oh, I'm a big fan of oh. Andy. Thanks. Me too. He's, he's been like the wind, the wind beneath my wings, but I think, you know, he would call that unfair advantage and many companies, including mine, you know, you've got to build your brand and your company. Like what, and this is something that anybody can ask themselves. Like, as you're setting out to do things, what are your unfair advantage? What is it that is going to make you more successful than somebody else that's doing this? So I think, again, that's like a very universal thing that, you know, for you, it was like the specific relationships that you had with guilt and like the experience that you had there. But as people are asking themselves is what I'm thinking about the problem that I'm solving something viable. It's like, that's the next step is like, okay, the problem solving is something that's viable. What is my unfair advantage as a CEO and a founder? Why am I more poised to do this than somebody else? And so I love that that's what you're talking about because I think that speaks to like, and there's nothing unfair about it, but it's just the idea that like, hey, what what are the things that give me a leg up to build this registry platform over somebody else that also has the same thought process? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I totally agree. And I think the team and, and knowing that you have not just great people, but people that you want to work with that want to work with you then has such a big impact on the culture of the company. And many times the success of a company or a startup lives or dies by its culture. So that's the big learning on the people front and the great benefit there that then had a positive impact on Zola. The other two things that I learned that I really wanted to make sure were there before committing a you know, a huge chunk of my life and, and right, at least the next 10 years of my life to doing nothing but Zola was one, how do we de-risk as much as possible getting to product market fit? So how do we feel like we can have or be pretty close to being confident that we will create a product that the market actually loves and wants and that they tell everyone about. So that was one. The other one was the business model. How do we make sure that we have a business model that works, that is sustainable and scalable and ultimately can be highly profitable? So I can share the the thoughts behind how we got to both of those things. So those those three things together, the team, the product market fit, and the business model were were absolutely required in my mind before I wanted to take the leap. On the product market fit question, 
Nobu, my co-founder and I spent a lot of time, I mentioned talking to hundreds of couples, but then also thinking and brainstorming, you know, on my coffee table, on my living room floor for many days and hours thinking about how could we really innovate in wedding registry to create something that if a wedding registry didn't exist today, everyone would say what we designed was exactly what they wanted. So the way that we did that was we would brainstorm different concepts of how we could innovate on the wedding registry idea. We would put together paper prototypes, put them in front of users, get feedback, and then iterate, then move to online prototypes. We would use InVision to kind of do clickable prototypes. We we would then take back to users and couples and show them, get feedback, and really narrow down the universe of concepts that we had brainstormed to a few concepts that we thought we were getting the most positive feedback around. After a period of time of doing that concept iteration, we then started to develop a prototype that we thought was pretty close to the one that would be the best product out of the gate. And we started to test that and by putting the prototype in front of couples that were engaged but still hadn't picked their wedding registry yet. And at this point in time, the big test for us was would people actually to use it without us prompting them to. And I, I consider this the best kind of early indicator of whether you have product market fit before you actually build the product. So what I was waiting for was I didn't want to try to sell the product. I didn't want to push people to use it. I didn't want to ask them to use it. I wanted to put the prototype in front of people, have them walk me through it, tell me what they thought, and then just say, thank you, goodbye, appreciate the time and sit back and wait to see if they ask to use it for their own wedding. And the first few times we did this, they didn't ask us to use it. And so we knew we weren't there yet. We had to keep iterating. We went away. We made changes. We made changes until at some point in time, people started to say, hey, when can I use this? Or can I use this in time for my own wedding? Or can you email me when this is going to be ready because I want to use it? (laughs) And once we, <laughs> that was like the, ma- the word, magical sentence, because once we started to hear this, we knew that we had something that people actually might want to use. Then that's when we kind of committed ourselves to building and, and to this idea because we felt like it was a product that the market was actually asking for. So that's product market fit. The thing I mentioned was how do we create a business model that is sustainable and scalable and ultimately profitable? And here did a lot of thinking based on past work experience in e-commerce. And that's where kind of past jobs really were so crucial to informing the success of Zola because we looked at what were all the benefits of the e-commerce business model that we had seen in the past. And then we looked at what were some of the burdens, pitfalls of e-commerce and how could we make sure to avoid them in this business. And ultimately came up with, I think, a very innovative business model that took, you know, and benefited from a lot of the best parts of e-commerce, like the fact that we can manage and support the end-to-end customer experience and shopping experience all on Zola, that we can provide support for customer service 
and merchandise it to make sure it's a very consistent experience on the, in the Zola store. But we also looked at how can we avoid a lot of the pitfalls of e-commerce. For example, you know, returns is often a painful part of e-commerce. And we thought about how do we use technology to solve this? So, for example, in the case of returns, that innovation where I described we don't send anything to anyone until they say they actually want it meant that our return rate was virtually zero because people weren't requesting things that they didn't want. And we allowed virtual exchanges. We built this really innovative virtual exchange feature where before you receive something, you can exchange it into Zola Credit, buy something else, which meant that people were only getting things they actually really wanted. And as a result, we avoided this huge killer of e-commerce businesses, which is returns. So in that way, I think once we felt like we had product market fit or as close to it as you can get pre-launch, as well as a business model that is an improvement on other business models out there, we were ready to go and then started to think about how do we hire a core team to build out our MVP product or our minimum viable product and get to launch and actually see live if people would use it and <laughs> love it and share it. Absolutely. So as you were starting to think about building this, at what point did you start to take in funding? Because I feel like this is such a like a major undertaking to do what you did, even looking at the site. It's complex. It's robust. You know, obviously, it has to be incredibly functional to be able to have all of these registry items and it has to be well vetted. It has to work. These are people's like one time weddings likely. So you're not going to be testing out to, you know, somebody's registry just goes poof. So what, at what point did you say to yourself, like, I'm ready to actually raise capital? Did you do that ahead of getting, getting underway from a technology standpoint? Yeah. Our fundraising story, like, like every startup fundraising story is very unique. I think it's also a function of the fact that every founding team and their background is very unique. What is another benefit of the work that I had done prior to starting Zola and benefit of being a part of the earliest years of Guilt Group, which you know is one of the fastest growing e-commerce startups historically, is that I got to work very closely with Kevin Ryan, who was founder of Guilt, as well as you know, co-founder Business Insider, MongoDB, and many other successful New York tech companies. And one of the you know, inspiring entrepreneurs I know. And so lucky to be able to work closely with him. And he saw my work and Nobu's work for over four years, so that when Nobu and I started to brainstorm this weddings idea, we went to catch up with Kevin, we brainstormed with him together and he said, you know, I have always wanted to do something in weddings. I love this idea. I love working with you guys. How about I give you the funding, we get started and do this together. Let's do it. And so he essentially was sole seed investor plus co-founder. So that allowed us to get moving really quickly. You know, our seed round ended up being 500K, which is very small compared to seed rounds today. Sure. Uh, but 
when I tell other founders that or people kind of considering starting to fundraise, everyone's like, that's so, so easy and such a dream story and so fast and wow, if only everyone had that. And I say, yes, that was fast, but it's not like, you know, I just asked him and then, you know, one day later I had funding. I, it's not like we didn't work for that. Nobu and I slogged our guts out yes. in our previous role 24-7 and that's how we got that opportunity and so it was really you know what I tell anyone that asked today is the people that are most likely to want to support you invest in you work with you down the road are the people that you are working alongside or for today and so to make sure that you are you know essentially always interviewing for your next opportunity and that's how I got and how Zola got such quick funding right out of the gate. No, I I love that. I think that a couple of really key takeaways from that is that, you know, seed rounds can be really small. Ours was like just a little bit over a million dollars at the time, I think. So, I mean, it was a little bit bigger than what you guys raised at that time, but still like it was, you know, it was enough for us to like build a site and buy the product we need. And, you know, for us, we launched brick and mortar and online simultaneously. So some of that went to brick and mortar. But I think that it is good to be cognizant of like, what is it that you need so that you can get, you can get just enough to prove out what you're, what you're thinking about doing without, without taking in so much that, you know, even the responsibility of having too much money in the early days, certainly not that we've ever had that problem, is that it's almost good to be strapped from a monetary standpoint because it really enables you to be scrappy and to be testing things. And I think that, you know, if we'd had more capital in the early days, it would have gone to waste because it took us a long time to test and iterate, especially in the early days to get to where we are currently. Tell me a little bit about when you feel like you reached the tipping point with Zola. So you saw like some viability even before you launched. You worked hard to build, you know, relationships throughout your career that enabled you to more rapidly take in that funding. When did you feel like in the life cycle of Zola today where you were like, wow, we got this particular press article, we're seeing these particular metrics, like we're really here to stay? <laughs> well, so at business school, I one of the classes I remember the most and one of the lectures I remember the most is a technology class that was led by Andy Grove, who is the legendary figure in Silicon Valley. You know, he ran Intel for many years, has wrote, written many great books, including one that's called Only the Paranoid Survive. And <laughs> in that class, you know, really one of the big themes was to always be paranoid that any company at any time, including Intel, could go away at any moment because of new competitors or changes in the market dynamic or in user behavior. And I I really believe in that philosophy. And so the answer is, I have never felt like we are at the point where, uh, where we can, we've achieved what we want to do or that everyone knows about us. Yes. Certainly more people know about Zola than they did five years ago, but I, I still wake up every day and think we still have so much to do to get the word out there, to improve the product, to get all the brands that we know our couples want onto, into the Zola store, to do everything that we need to be doing to 
continue to earn the place as the best weddings company. Um, they're still so, so far to go. So I, when you asked that question, I was laughing to myself because I think I, I don't know if we'll ever get there. No, and I think that's the good answer, by the way, of any good startup CEO is that, um, and I love this idea. I've got to read this, Only the Paranoid Survive. I love the title. Um, I, I hadn't heard of it before, but I think that there is some validity in that. And I think that, you, you know, even after watching my brother build Bonobos for a decade, like he was definitely always not, I don't want to say in the weeds, but like it, my husband also has his own company, a, a customizable furniture brand called Interior Define. And I would say that like, as a family, we're a pretty unrelaxed group of people. That's not particularly <laughs> great at, you know, we just came out of like a couple days in San Diego over the holidays. And like, we, we don't as a, as a family know how to shut it off. And my daughter is totally <laughs> in lockstep with us. Like, you know, always kind of hyped up about what's happening. But I, think, I love it. Yeah, I think there is something to that personality type. And I, I think that, you know, obviously there's many different personality types to being a CEO, but I think any good founder has a healthy fear. And I think for outsiders, for customers, for people that are listening to this that are thinking about starting their own company, I think that there's this belief that like, oh, wow, that brand has has made it. They're too big to fail or they're too out there. Too many people know about them. It's like, that's so not true. Because as you know, behind the scenes, it's like, it, it doesn't matter how much you're making or exactly how you're doing things. There's so many other factors that go into success. So I think that, you know, that that's a really good way of looking at it. And for people that are thinking about starting their own companies, I think learning to live it, being comfortable in the continual uncomfortable is a really important thing to realize that you're going to be doing because there's, you never feel like it's not like having a regular job. Not that those are necessarily comfortable, but you're always worried about the future, whether it's the next day or the next month or, you know, what the runway is. And every time things get bigger and better, the pressure just builds even more. So I think that, you know, there's, there's, there's certain downsides. And I think that it's funny as I did this, you know, I I had previously worked in the pharmaceutical industry for a decade. I, you know, I'd been by my brother's side and been really privileged to watch the magical things that he did really paving the way for so many of us since as in the pioneer that him and a couple of others at the time really were. And I've come to learn that like you, you know, it's, it's a lot about the journey and Bobby Yazdani of Cote Capital, who has been like a real champion for me and has been on the board, you know, he likens startup founders to athletes and says like, Hey, you, you know, this is a, a, like a mega marathon that you guys are running and you need to keep yourself in, you know, in mental shape to be able to continue to, to be on that journey. And I love, by the way, that I saw one of your hobbies as meditation because I feel like you've got to you've got to grasp at the things that you can control to a certain degree and learn to live within that peak stress. So it's funny, no matter the industry, how that is so similar for every, you know, for, for everyone that I talk to. Yeah, absolutely. I, I often am asked by founders, what is your biggest surprise? And I think it's really the realization that you mentioned, which is this, It's that I always thought in year one, I thought once we get to a certain size of company, once we get to a certain number of people, once we hire for certain key roles, once we raise a certain amount of funding, once we hit a certain amount of revenue, things will get easier. We will be able to take a breath. And in fact, it just gets harder. (laughs) It gets more complex. 
And that is part of the job. And that actually applies to every company. And so the meditation, I kind of see almost as, it's not that I love it. It's that I need it. Yes. And, and, and actually, it's kind of like I have no choice. No, I, I agree. And I think what people don't realize as teams evolve and things get bigger and capital raises get stronger is that to manage the growth that, and it's great. Like we, we have this fortunate opportunity as digitally native vertical brands to be working, you know, in, in some of the most rapidly, you know, revenue growth companies that there, that there are out there. But the downside to that is that you put processes in place and those processes are totally outdated the next quarter. So it's like for team and systems and everything, it's like the, the pace of the growth it can be daunting and exhausting and you need to find ways to, to just survive within the chaos. And I think that ultimately most startup founders that I know thrive within chaos. Like I almost don't know what to do when things get relaxed. It starts to freak me out a little bit. I mean, luckily that's very rare that that happens. So I think you end up learning to like really live off of the, the franticness to a certain degree, but you know, your job as a CEO and founder is to bring a sense of calm to your team. You you want to be living in the eye of the storm, but you don't necessarily want, everybody that's working with you isn't necessarily signing up to live in the eye of the storm. And so it's distilling some of that freneticness so that you can actually distill it down into manageable steps for your team. And I, I mean, I think that's probably a challenge for everyone. Yeah. And, 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 and that is the fun of the startup. And that is why you know, those of us who are doing it have been doing it for such a long time. I cannot do anything else because you know, as someone on my leadership team said yesterday, we were reviewing and kind of talking through like the 50 different tests we have underway right now, kind of reviewing all the bets that we made and which ones worked and didn't work and the results that they're showing. And as with anything, some of them, worked much better than we thought. Some of them did not work as well as we thought. And then we talk about all the things we have to do next over the next few days and weeks and months. And we're like, oh my gosh, there's so much to do. We don't have enough people. We all have to do multiple jobs. And then we looked at each other and he was like, isn't this exhilarating? And I was like, yes, high five. Cannot agree more. Yeah, <laughs> this is the, I think that's the best it. job in the world. You end up, and I think that's the thread that that goes through so many of the successful startup CEOs. It, certainly, I don't profess to be one of them, but on the podcast, I'm fortunate enough to talk to other people that that I that I would put in that category, much much like yourself. And I think that you you learn to live in the eye of the storm. And and I think the other thing too for people that are listening that is the same for everyone that I talk to, and I certainly you exemplify is a real passion for what they're building. So I think as you think about people where like they're putting a list together and they're like, oh, like I, w- I want to start a company. I'm sure there's plenty of people that have started successful companies out of the desire to start a successful company. But I think when you're truly solving problems like you are in the wedding industry, that's where the success comes faster because you see the pain points and you you iterated and innovated on what you didn't, what you weren't finding. And I think to me, that's where the most authentic companies come from. Yeah, and it's a real honor, I think, and and privilege to to actually be working on something that is very close to my heart. That, like in wedding planning, like in many other types of work, 
Unfortunately, women do bear a lot of the the burden of having to plan more than 50% of their wedding most of the time on top of their jobs, on top of everything else going on. And while we would love it to be more kind of 50-50 between the two partners getting aged and married, most of the time it's not. And so what I get really excited about is the fact that by making wedding planning easier, more fun, more inspiring, that we are actually helping women where many other people and companies had ignored them for decades. Oh, I think that's really exciting. And I've admired you and your company from afar for a long time. So I'm thrilled to be able to get an opportunity to talk to you today. Thank you so much for joining. Well, thank you. And I have to say, you know, as someone that buys a lot of my baby shower gifts for my friends from Monica and Andy, it's great to talk to you. I'm also a, a shopper and a customer of your site. I hope you enjoyed the episode. For more information and tips from our guests, stop by monicaandandy.com or check us out on Instagram at monicaandandy. If there's someone you want to hear from or a topic you'd like us to cover, please leave us a comment on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in.